you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we're gathered here by your Spirit in the name of your Son, and we have lifted our voices to worship you, and now we want to hear uh, your voice uh, come to us through your word. And God, just as what has come out of our voices has uh, come from our heart, not just from our mouths, I pray that when you speak to us, we wouldn't merely hear with our ears, but that we would hear to our heart, that you would speak to us at the very core of who we are, and that you would transform us. So God, we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you've been within listening range of a radio or arm's reach of a newspaper or had a television screen in front of you in the past little while, you probably picked up that that large nation to the south of us is uh, about to have an election. Has anyone else caught on to that? Uh, It's a pretty big deal. And a lot of people right now have... uh, Uh, a lot to say uh, about uh, leadership, and the United States of America are uh, getting ready to uh, elect, to select uh, their leader, and this is a real time for us as their neighbors uh, to be praying for them, and a lot of people have been thinking about leadership and what role does integrity play, what role does uh, humility play, what role does purity play, and In the political world, there is an increasing cynicism and skepticism uh, towards uh, political leaders. And we see it also in our day-to-day work life, that that same cynicism is is filtering into the way we think about our bosses and those that we uh, report to, our managers, and that is even working its way into the family, the way that children think about their parents, and even into the church, the way that church members think about their leaders. Now listen, uh, politicians can act in a very disrespectable way. So can parents, so can bosses, so can church leaders. And they're not always worthy of respect. But how are we supposed to look at leadership from a Christian's perspective, particularly leaders in the church? We've been going through the series called uh, Built to Last. You can open up the book of Acts. That's been sort of our, our main place to look at the early church, to find out how was the early church built, because that church lasts, and we want to be a church like that. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. And what we see in the book of Acts is we see some amazing leaders, leaders like Peter, who was this rock that God so greatly used, leaders like Paul, who was so transformed, he was headed in one direction and then turned to be following after Jesus and led many people as a terrific leader as he followed Christ. Now, these leaders were special, they were anointed, they were unique, they played an important foundational role in the, in the establishment of the church in those early days. But what we're going to look at today is, what did those leaders do in order to 
lay a foundation in order to set the tone, in order to provide a framework for leadership for generations going on and on. And we're going to find in the book of Acts that the leaders in the early church established a leadership role, a leadership position called eldership. And we're going to be looking at that role in the book of Acts. The first place it shows up is in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. This comes at the end of Paul's first mission trip. Can we get a picture of Paul's mission trip on the screen here? So he's up into this area called Galatia and he's been visiting a bunch of cities, Lystra and Iconium, Derby, these kinds of places. He's been going from city to city and after he gets uh, uh, stoned and, 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 and beaten nearly to death, they, uh, uh, he, he circles back around, goes back to the place where they tried to execute him, goes back to all of the other cities. And this is what he does after his first journey. Verse 23 of Acts 14. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so what we see happening here is Paul is setting up this, this role, this position, these elders in each and every church in the regions that he had spread the gospel. And what we see, the, and, and this is really the first mention of elders being established outside of the church at Jerusalem. Leaders in these other churches, in these other regions being set up and appointed by Paul. And here's what we can uh, take away from this. Uh, first off is that elders uh, are to be plural and local. Elders are to be plural and local. If you take a look back at Acts 14, uh, 23, it doesn't say that when he had appointed an elder for every church. He, no, he appointed elders. Uh, God's intention for leading the church is that there would be a plurality at the leadership level. It was never intended for there only to be one person in a position of leadership. A church that is built on one person is not a church that's built to last. Because if that person dies, if that person gets entangled in some sort of uh, awful sin, if, 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 if that person changes what they believe in their doctrine, in their teaching, then the whole church, if all they're doing is following one person then that church is not built to last. As soon, as soon as that person is either dead or off track, the church is in serious trouble. God's intention is, there, is for there to be a plurality of leaders. And let's take a look at the map here again, plural and also local. He didn't just appoint one council of elders for the whole region of Galatia. No, all of the different cities in that area had their own local representative as elders. And that's what God has designed, that each local church has their own elders. And so we here at Harvest Bible Chapel Brampton, we are our own local autonomous church. We have our own uh, elders, uh, Dennis Baggett, Dan Unruh, Keith Jerry, Chris Shipley, Mark Watson, and myself make up the plural and local leaders of this local church. That is God's uh, design. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for plurality. And you may not be an elder here today, but this universal biblical principle applies to all of us. It's all over the book of Proverbs, the the wisdom that comes from having an abundance of counselors. You think you know what you're going to do, but then as soon as you ask someone else for advice, you see things from another angle, from another perspective. That's how God has intended the church to function, and that's how we are supposed to function. We're not supposed to make uh, uh, decisions in isolation on our own. We are supposed to invite counselors. We're supposed to invite people. We we, want to make decisions in a context of plurality as individuals and especially as a church. And notice how seriously Paul took this. It says that he appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. It wasn't just like, Hey, you're a nice guy. I'm going to make you an elder. I like your shoes. You're an elder. Hey, you lent me $5 before. I'm going to make you an elder. It it wasn't just some people that he happened to like. In in, uh, Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a list of qualifications for, for who an elder needs to be. Character is first and foremost. That is the most important thing. It's who they are as people, how they lead their families, love their children, what they believe. Are they able to teach what God's word says with authority and with accuracy? And so he took this very seriously. And he prayed and he fasted. And no doubt the whole church joined in in praying and fasting. Just like when, when our elders were appointed as elders, we put their names in front of the whole congregation. We said, pray about this. If you have any hesitation or any reason to, to think that this person is not qualified, you need, to, you need to let us know. It's something that we take very, very seriously today because they took it seriously then. Then at the end of verse 23, it says, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Ultimately, elders are not in charge. Ultimately, God is in charge. And so, one other distinction that I want to clarify for us here just really quickly is that elders were appointed by the apostles. But elders are not the same as apostles. What we see in the book of Acts, happening in Acts chapter 14, is we see a transition happening from the apostles led the worldwide church. If you were a church in Africa, if you were a church in present day Turkey, if you were a church in Greece, the apostles were in charge. The apostles were leading. But now in Acts chapter 14, we see a step in a transition. The apostles are still living. The apostles are still there. The apostles are still leading. But they are setting up local and plural elders in each and every church. So that by the end of the book of Acts, we see local churches functioning autonomously under this kind of leadership. But the apostles are very, very different from the elders. And so in your handouts, I put a little, a little section there. Uh, elders are not apostles. Here's why. First and foremost, apostles were selected by Jesus. Apostles were selected uh, by Jesus. Uh, that's what apostle, th- th- that, that's, that's what it meant. They were selected by Jesus to be sent out. They played a specific role at a certain time. Uh, Mark chapter 3 verse 14 says, he appointed the 12 whom he also named them apostles. This is why he called them apostles. So that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. To be an apostle means to be sent out. Jesus handpicked the apostles. He even handpicked Paul 
on the road to Damascus. Now, these people living in Galatia were living in Lystra when Jesus was ministering. They were living in Derby, or they were, were living in Iconium. They were living in these other places when Jesus, when Jesus was selecting these apostles. Paul selected them, not Jesus. That's one distinction about apostles. Here's the second one. They witnessed the resurrection. I'm not saying they, they were present when Jesus came out of the tomb, but they saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. And so they saw the nail-scarred Son of God. They saw him risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, He appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. But he's an apostle nonetheless. Because on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him and called him. And that's something that was unique to the apostles. The book of Acts says... Jesus told the apostles, you will be my witnesses, witnesses of the fact that he was risen from the dead. So they witnessed the resurrection. Uh, thirdly, they uh, performed miracles by the Holy Spirit. They performed miracles by the Holy Spirit. And we put a lot of expectations on our elders. It's not an easy job. It's a very demanding role with lots of responsibilities. But one of the things that we don't expect of our elders is to perform miracles. I don't, I don't expect that, that Keith Jerry and Mark Watson or, 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 or Chris Shipley or Dan Unruh or Dennis Baggett are, are supposed to, uh, you know, go up to paralyzed people and tell them to get up and walk. I'd love if that could happen. I believe in the supernatural. I believe that God could still do that. But an elder doesn't have to do that in order to be an elder. But in order to be an apostle, there had to be those kinds of signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 2 of verse 43, it says, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. Signs and wonders and mighty works. God was authenticating the message that the apostles were giving through the miracles. And so we now can look back to the miracles and say, this is why we believe this is true. But we are not expecting our elders to perform those kinds of miracles like the, like the apostles did. God could still do it today. Do you agree? God could still do it to get today for sure. And then lastly, the apostles played a foundational role. The, the apostles were just a, were a, a temporary position. There are no apostles uh, today. And there are still people who are sent out. There are still people who function in a way that could be described as apostolic. But no one should be walking around with the title of apostle. Because when you say you're an apostle, you, you, you need to understand that there's a, that's a loaded term. Are you able to perform miracles? Are you an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ? And so they, there was this temporary position that God had planned for these special individuals who played a very special role. role. Ephesians 2.20 says, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 2 Peter 3.2, remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through that Jesus. And so it was the apostles who shared the command that Jesus gave. And it, they had that special role to proclaim what Jesus had done. But it's the elder's role not to proclaim a new message, 
It's the elders' role to protect and to preserve and to promote what the apostles uh, proclaim. So it's important for us uh, to make that distinction. So that's who elders are. That's what elders aren't. They're plural and local representatives, leaders in the local church. But what are elders uh, supposed to do? We're going to find that out in the next chapter. Here's the second thing we're going to learn about elders today. It's that elders are to focus on doctrine and direction. Elders are supposed to focus on doctrine and direction. Paul and Barnabas uh, come home after their first missionary trip. They go back to Antioch, which was their sending church. And uh, when they're there, they encounter this group of people in verse 1. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. This, in chapter 15, verse 1, is legalism in its most clear form. Notice the word unless. Unless you do this, you cannot be saved. That's a problem. That is doctrinal error that is going to need to be corrected. And and so Paul and Barnabas hear these people teaching these things. The, The essence of legalism is thinking that you are saved by works and not by God's grace. We're not saved because we deserve it. We won't get to heaven because we tried hard. We are given God's grace. We are, we, are, we are saved by the grace of God. No one deserves it. It's not us reaching up to God. It's God reaching down to us. But some of these people were teaching that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Essentially what they were saying is in order to become a Christian, you have to become Jewish. Because Paul and Barnabas had just been spreading the word all around Antioch. You had Jewish Christians, non-Jewish Christians, all around Galatia now. You had Jewish Christians, non-Jewish Christians. And some people were saying that, no, 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 you're not really a Christian unless you become Jewish first. You've got to follow some of these rules and regulations in order to become a Christian. So, verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so now, see, we saw that local elders were established in Acts chapter 14. Now in Acts chapter 15, we're going to see an overlap. So the apostles are still living. They're there in Jerusalem, but they also have elders in the city of Jerusalem as well. And what we're going to see is we're going to see how the apostles and the elders interact. This, is, this sets the tone for what elders are supposed to uh, do in the future. Here's the first thing that we're going to see as they met together. Jot this down, that elders must decide through dialogue. Elders must decide through dialogue. Paul and Barnabas come, come down to Jerusalem. They meet with the elders and they meet with the apostles and and. A big, long dialogue begins. Take a look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate. Again, this is the beauty of plurality. It's not just that a Peter or one of the other leaders, John, or someone says, Hey, I'm an apostle. This is the answer. No. There was a dialogue. There was was reasoning together. There was trying to sort things out. Wrestling with the issue. And... Should non-Jewish 
Christians become Jewish or how Jewish should they become and do we pay attention to anything in the Old Testament or do we throw the whole thing out? What are we supposed to do? And so there was much debate and, and elders are supposed to make decisions and if you could be a fly on the wall in some of our elders meetings, you know there's much debate, isn't there? And it's healthy and it, it, it's fruitful and sometimes we bring in other people from the congregation to give their perspective. We want to hear we want to learn through dialogue. And so elders, in, in order to be good decision makers, in order to be good leaders, they must be good listeners. And so elders make decisions through dialogue. They, they made that through much debate. Then take a look at the rest of verse 7. It says, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring to Acts chapter 10 and when Peter led Cornelius uh, to the Lord, verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So Peter's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit fell on those new believers and there were signs that the Spirit was, was present there and they didn't get circumcised. All they did was believe. They didn't follow a bunch of rules and regulations. They didn't have to become Jewish before the Holy Spirit filled them. All they did was a belief. And then verse 9 says, he made no distinction between us and them. And I love this, I love this phrase, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Cleansed their hearts by faith. The cleansing of our heart, that's what all of us need. That's what the gospel gives us because of sin in our heart, because of the uncleanness in our heart, the disobedience in our heart, the wickedness in our heart. We need our heart to be cleansed. This is what Jeremiah predicted in Jeremiah 31. This is what Ezekiel promised in Ezekiel 33. This is what Jesus said in John 7 where he says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jeremiah and Ezekiel said, God will give a new heart. He didn't say, I'll give a new heart on the condition that people get circumcised first or follow the law first. If you're here today and you feel overwhelmed, Jesus said, whoever believes in me. If you're here today and you feel overwhelmed, you feel like your heart is dirty, you feel like there's not just sin happening outside of you, it's something deep inside of you, you, you need to understand that Jesus died on the cross for you and you can have your heart cleansed today. Not by following a bunch of rules to make yourself better, but by believing that Jesus died in your place. You can have your heart cleansed. And here's the, here's the second thing that is absolutely important for elders. Not just supposed to have a whole bunch of dialogue about whatever. Core to what the elders are about is this. Elders must preserve the purity of the gospel. Elders must be very jealous for the idea that it's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. To be very cautious about any kind of teaching or any kind of ministry or any kind of person that wants to say Jesus is not enough, the gospel is not enough, the cross is not enough. Our role as elders is to preserve the purity of the gospel. And listen to how Peter sums things up in verse 10. He says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He says, Why are you putting the yoke of the law on the, on the Gentiles? And Peter's talking about yoke. Jesus had something to say about, 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 about a yoke, didn't he? What did Jesus say about his yoke? He said, My yoke is and my burden is right. 
Not this crushing burden of following all of the Old Testament ceremonial law. He's saying, he's saying, we need to preserve the purity of the gospel. And then I love this, verse 11. But we believe that they will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as we will. He's preserving the purity of the gospel. Saved through believing. Saved through faith. Saved by grace. So that's what the elders were protecting against, this false teaching of legalism. Verse 12, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles, that's all the nations, everyone who's not Jewish, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. I love, you know, when, I, when we're first introduced to James here, um, in verse 13, you're just kind of like, who, like, who are you, James? He's like, brothers, listen to me. And J James was actually, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James, and he was a significant leader in the church in Jerusalem. It seems a little bit odd. Hey, 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 listen to me. But do you know why he wanted them to listen to him? Because he had the word of God open. And when elders are functioning properly, their Bibles are open. And when elders should be listened to, it's when elders are speaking the word of God. And that's what James does here. And so jot this down thirdly, that elders must open their Bibles. Elders must open their Bibles. And they, they must make sure. Is, is there a verse that speaks to this issue? And James obviously had many verses he could have looked at because he says in verse 15, and with the words of the prophets, plural, agree, and he decides to quote Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, talking about how the Gentiles, the nations, are supposed to be included in what God is doing. And that the nations are nations. The nations don't have to become Jewish in order to become Christians. The nations can stay with their own ethnic cultural identity. But by placing their faith in Jesus, they can be saved. So elders must open uh, their Bibles. Make note of this next. Elders must aim for consensus. Elders must aim for consensus. And so they come to this decision. And uh, James sums it up in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. So they give them some general recommendations of how to live. A lot of the reason why they told them to do that is because they wanted the non-Jewish Christians to get along with the Jewish Christians. And so they, they were advising them to be culturally sensitive, not to be offensive to their Jewish brothers and sisters, but then look at verse 22. After James lays that out, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. The aim was consensus. The elders didn't vote on it. It wasn't, you know, a majority. The apostles didn't vote on it. It seemed good to them. 
And the church didn't vote on it. They, listen, talking is better than voting. And they, decision is made through dialogue. And so they discussed it until they were all on the same page. And this is how we function as elders. And this is how we function as a church. We engage in dialogue with one another. And if someone doesn't understand it or if someone's conscience isn't, isn't quite right with the decision, then we wait on the decision until we are all on the same page. Page. Now, it might not be, mean that we agree on every single decision, but would you, would you agree that this is a pretty major decision right here? A, a major doctrinal and directional decision is being laid down here, and they aimed at consensus. And so that's what we need to do. And then lastly, elders must affirm unity and equality. They must affirm unity and equality. So they write this letter to the church at Antioch, and then the letter was supposed to be taken um, to all of, the other, all of the other churches. They write this letter, look in verse 23, and with the following letter, look what they wrote. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles. Brothers to brothers. Not, hey, we're the Jewish Christians, so we're superior to you. No. We're going to reach out to you. We're going to, we're going to call you brothers. And they could be brothers and sisters. We're, we're not superior to you because we're Jewish. Also, we're not superior to you because we're apostles or because we're elders. Elders don't lead in such a way that says, we're up here on this spiritual plateau. Come and try and join us if you can. No, we're saying we are all in this together. The, the organizational chart for Christian leadership is actually inverted. It's upside down. That we're all brothers and the people who are leading are called upon to serve. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we as leaders are called upon to be servants, to treat people like brothers. Jesus said in Matthew 23, call no man father. You're all brothers. God is your father. Look around. And churches go in very dangerous places when elders start to walk around like they're somehow superior. And when the congregation somehow either verbally or non-verbally communicates some sort of inferior, that is not the gospel. That is not how church leadership is supposed to work. Brothers to brothers and sisters, we're united. That's the aim. And so doctrine and direction. That's what elders are supposed to focus on. Now, there's something that doesn't come up in the book of Acts, but it comes up in the rest of the New Testament. What if someone in the church chooses to either believe something that's contrary to sound, good doctrine? What if someone in the church chooses to make a lifestyle choice that's sinful, that doesn't line up with the doctrine? Or what if a, someone in the church is divisive and doesn't follow the overall direction and leadership? What, it, what are the elders supposed to do there? You see, we categorize the role of elders in three ways. Doctrine, direction, which we've covered in Acts 15, but then there's this third one of discipline. And the elders have the very difficult task of Holding Christians accountable for living like Christians. Holding church members accountable for living like 
uh, church members. And so that's, that's, that's a, a third piece that comes up a number of times in the New Testament. We're given a number of guidelines of how that is supposed to work and what that's supposed to uh, look like. But the discipline flows from a focus on the doctrine and uh, the direction. And so that's what elders are called upon to do. We're going to look at one more place to round out our understanding of eldership and what it looks like and how it uh, works. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And they uh, came to him. And so this is, let's get a, a, another map on the screen here. This is Paul's third mission trip. And uh, it kind of centered around this area of uh, Ephesus. And let's zoom in a little bit closer. So we find out from verse 17 that Paul is in Miletus, which was like a harbor town. And he wanted the people from Ephesus to come and see him. And so they've made the journey down to Miletus to spend some time with Paul. And this is the last time Paul is going to see them. We saw elders established in Acts 14. We saw elders and apostles working together to solve a doctrinal and decision-making issue. And now in Acts chapter 20, we're going to see the apostles officially passing the torch. Or Paul, an apostle, passing the torch to the local plural elders in Ephesus. So Acts chapter 20 is vitally uh, important. And here's what he's going to say to them. Here's the third thing I want us to know, that elders must protect and care for the church. Elders must protect and care for the church. The apostles started the church. They laid Jesus as the foundation. They established the pillars of, of prayer and preaching and worship and evangelism. They set up how the community is supposed to re relate to one another in love, even though it gets messy. And, and now the elders are being charged with the responsibility of not to tear it down and rebuild it, not to build something new themselves, but to protect what has been established, to guard and to care for and to maintain the people of God. And so he calls them uh, elders in verse 17. That's the word we've been using uh, most of the time as we've been going through this, uh, uh, this study in the book of Acts. But look down with me at verse 28. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So in verse 17, he calls them elders. In verse 28, he says that they are overseers who are supposed to care for the church of God. And so we have these three terms that are being used in Acts 20, all to describe the same group of people, uh, elders, overseers, and then there's a verb used they're supposed to care for. And these three terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament to describe the same group of people. Some churches just incorrectly in interpret the New Testament and set this up as a hierarchy. In, in some cases, the word overseers is translated bishops. And uh, in, some church, in some churches, uh, you know, being a bishop is a bigger deal than being an elder. And uh, the bishop is sort of overseeing a, a larger read. That's not in the New Testament at all. 
That's not a structure that's built to last. Because a bishop is the same as an elder, is the same as a pastor. And so uh, to care for, uh, if you have an uh, uh, English, I'm sorry, if you have a new international version Bible in front of you, it says to shepherd. And uh, elders are supposed to be shepherds. That's where the word pastor uh, comes from. Shepherds lead people into pasture. And that's where pastor uh, comes from. And so he's referring to this one group. Again, it's plurality. It's not a hierarchy. This one group of people from Ephesus, and they are given the responsibility of leading as elders. And they're supposed to protect and care for the church. First of all, they've got to protect themselves. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Notice how they say pay attention to yourselves first. This always makes me think of the flight attendant when you're get, about to get on an airplane. If they say, if the cabin pressure changes, the seat light, the, the seatbelt light will come on, and then the oxygen mask drop off. And what do they always say? They always say, put the mask on yourself first, and then help someone else. And the role of an elder is so vitally important. Listen, we can't have people with big planks in their eyes trying to help people get specks out of their eyes. We, we have to make sure that we're paying attention to ourselves. And so our elders meet together on a weekly basis. And, and, and we spend a time every other week in intense accountability with one another. How are we doing in our marriages? How are we doing in our personal devotions? How's our personal purity and prayer life and seeking after the Lord? This desire to pay attention to ourselves so that we can be helpful and useful in God's hands to watch over the church. We also, uh, on the opposite week, we spend time studying God's word intensely, going through a difficult theological book or, or studying God's work together so that we can be better at handling God's word. This is how we as elders try to apply what Paul commanded here, to pay attention to yourselves. And then we get into the agenda and the different things that are happening in our, uh, in our church. So pay attention to yourselves, and then he says, to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you bishops. Uh, the Greek word for overseer is uh, episkopos. And uh, it, it has the word scope in it, where we get sort of, you know, like a, um, like a, like a telescope that en enables you to, to see. And the, the role of an elder is like someone who is in a tower at the edge of a walled city who is scoping out the situation, trying to see where the danger may come from, where the enemy may attack. And that's where we get this idea that elders must protect the church. He's made you overseers. But then it says to care for or to shepherd or to pastor, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We are, we are called upon to be shepherds, to lovingly, and patiently walk with people through difficult situations, just like a shepherd leads his flock. That's what we're called upon to do. And then he says at the end of verse 28, he calls them the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Or another way to translate that would be with the blood of his own. Being, being a pastoral leader, being an elder, being an overseer is such a serious and sobering job because you're, you're dealing with trying to care for people that God loves so much that he sent his son to die for. 
Jesus wasn't just a man when he died. He was God in the flesh. That's why it says, it says God purchased with his own blood. Does God have blood? God is spirit, isn't he? But God was incarnate in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus shed his blood for us. And he gets into more about the role of protecting. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, this is why they got to watch themselves. Because it's even possible for this to happen even within an individual elder. Among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things that draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So Paul says, remember what I taught you. I spent three years trying to teach you. And now he's passing the baton and he wants them as elders to carry on what the apostles started by caring for and protecting the church. And he reminds them, I give you the word of grace. Remember what God's word says. Remember the truth of the gospel and hold to that. And remember God's grace. That's what we're seeking to be as a church. We are seeking to be a church that's built to last. A church that's founded on Jesus Christ and that's focused on preaching the word and worshiping Jesus and praying to him and sharing his message and being a strong, loving community. And the only way that we will be faithful in being built to last is if we have elders and if we have people who are commended to the word of God and his grace, that we would be focused on that. And then look at verse 36. We close here, it says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. What we're going to do to close the service is I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for, I'm going to pray as an elder for our elders. And I would ask that sometimes when we pray at the end of the service, it's just sort of, you know, like zipping up our Bible case and clicking our pen and just thinking about what we're going to have for lunch or guessing what the next worship song is going to be. I really just want to invite you, would you please pray with me? And we as elders, as we are praying uh, before the service uh, today, we're just thinking, about it. We, we just really want to ask the people to pray for us. Because this, this task, this responsibility is, goes way beyond what any human being could handle. And so we would, we would ask that you would pray for us now and that you would pray for us uh, regularly. And so let's bow our heads together. And let's, let's pray together. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And God, we pray for your protection and your provision and your strengthening to be on Dennis and Vicki Baggett, a Keith and Sylvia Jerry, a Dan Unruh, Chris and Carol, Chris and Lisa Shipley, and Mark and Laura Watson. And for myself and for Lindsay. And God, I pray that we would be faithful with what you've entrusted to us. God, I pray that we would be sobered by the, by the reminder that we are caring for people and leading people that you purchased with your own blood. And God, it's not our own intellect that will help us. It's not our own wisdom that will help us, God. It is your spirit. It is your word. And it is your grace. And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen our elders. 
And that by that, Lord God, you would strengthen our church. That you would unite our elders and unite our church. And so, God, we pray that you would do what only you can do by your power and by your grace because you alone are able. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.